Progressive presents Forest Metaphors about bundling your home and auto. In sports, three goals is a hat trick. And when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get a hat trick of great savings and round-the-clock protection. So you might be thinking, wait, that's two things. A hat trick is three. But in this metaphor, great savings counts as two goals and so does round-the-clock protection. So it's like four goals and that's more than three. It's basic math. Forest Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. Hi, I'm Flo from Progressive. Being a baseball fanatic like me can be stressful. It's not all sports points and touchdowns. So Progressive is going to help you take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they missed that goal point score, think about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive letting you choose coverage options based on your budget. Unlike your team that missed the end zone net area. Well, anyway, hope this distraction about Progressive's Name Your Price tool was helpful. It sure kept me from thinking about all those penalty balls. Yay, sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome back. For those of you who are just joining our networks now, welcome. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, and we're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to send me an email, it's very simple, exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, TV, And for the broadcast schedule of the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. And for the Exxon TV channel on Simultv, www.simultv.com. My guest this hour is Sasha Clanot. And uh, she is a paranormal investigator and researcher with 20 years of experience specializing in extreme cases commonly known as a demonologist or spiritual warrior. She is a clairvoyant and medium, author of Liability of a Paranormal Team, which is part of the Paranormal Doors series. She is also the Louisiana State Representative for the North American Dogman Project. Sasha gives, project, uh, gives lectures at conventions typically about keeping the integrity and evidence of the liability teams and what they hold, being a paranormal investigator with a mental illness and breaking the taboo that comes with it. Joining me now is Sasha Clanot. And Sasha, welcome to the X-Zone. Thank you very much. Great having you with us tonight. Um, so tell us, what was it that happened in your life that... that put you on your 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 course uh, the course of your life where now you're a paranormal investigator you're a um, you know you're a psychic uh, clairvoyant medium and you're an author about books about the paranormal what happened and when <laughs> well um it was about 12 that i started seeing um entities and mm-hmm. that's kind of what triggered everything i've had my gift um since i was very young i didn't realize that that's what it was and uh, actually didn't kind of, I guess, come to the realization that that's what it was until my mid-20s. Uh, even though I knew what the gifts were, I didn't think I was special enough. But it, it was about 12 when I started seeing entities in my room and outside my window. And that kind of is, is what triggered the research and everything like that, which led to extreme cases, um, research, and mm-hmm. and so on. Okay, so tell us about haunted bourbon and why was it created well haunted bourbon i me living in new orleans mm-hmm. you know that's stereotypically bourbon Street, sure yeah stereotypically known for a 
uh, haunted city. And I found out that there was no paranormal convention here. There was hardly any paranormal events. Now, there's ghost tours left and right, yeah. but uh, not actual ghost hunts. And so I noticed a need for it locally as well as the paranormal field wasn't having as much fun at conventions as I was like. There it wasn't a lot of camaraderie. It was more about competition. And uh, there was a lot of lack of education and, at the conventions. And so right. I wanted to do what I could and to try and establish it, make a place to where, you know, you didn't have to line up and kiss people's butts to become mm-hmm. a speaker. That if you could show me that you had valid intellect on a specific topic and it was an educational topic, then I would be do what I could to put you on the, the list of speakers. Tell me, in, in your experience, uh, based on everything that you do, why is there so much competition within the the ghost hunting or the ghost paranormal uh, genre? Ego. I mean, that's that's uh, the easiest word to put mm-hmm. it. Everybody's so terrified because there's a team in town and they ghost hunt. It means that you will never be successful because they're in town and that if they investigate a similar location or the same location, then again, you're being run out of town and that they are big, bad people. And we have not matured as a field enough mm-hmm. to get past that ego and our, our drive to become famous. But, but when you look at places like the Waverly Sanatorium, they, you know, investigation, investigators and researchers from all over the world go there. And yet there's plenty to do, plenty to see. So I yep. don't understand that Absolutely. mentality. Yeah. I, oh, no, I don't. I don't. From a logical standpoint, I don't understand it either. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, you know, through because I have my moments too, where sure. I get a little possessive, but for the most part, you know, it's it's all emotional and it's all based around the ego about being afraid that somebody's going to overtake. Uh, I have seen people fight over Waverly. You know, oh, they're doing the same event at Waverly and and they're doing it at this price. They're trying to screw us over, and it's. It's a continual thing. I mean, logically, I don't understand it, but, um, you know, it's there and it's all centered around a need to be famous. They're all hoping for that 15 minutes of fame on a TV show that doesn't pay them anything? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> Makes perfect sense to and, me, doesn't it? Right. <laughs> so, and, and they sit there and scream at ghosts because they, they, they mess with your hair gel. Yeah, what is that with, with people yelling at ghosts these days? <laughs> It's well, basically, where my assumption, and this is my personal opinion, mm-hmm. that that derived well, one from a TV show became popular from a TV show. Most of us know which one that came from, and um, it basically the provocation originally came from being able to confront malevolent entities. And a TV show ended up using it, and now it's become this cool, popular thing to do that anybody with a brain cell would never do without using it in the right environment at the right time. But, um, yeah, it's become a popular thing. Luckily, at least, you know, from the people that I surround myself Mm -hmm. out with, they don't use it very often. But I I know many people who still go in there and and try to piss off a ghost like it's actually going to do any good. You know, uh, that that just baffles my imagination because if they're disrespectful to the dead, they're going to be disrespectful absolutely. to the living. Uh, no, absolutely. Yeah. And, and there is a, a very extreme correlation 
distinction between that. Me personally, mm-hmm. I don't hunt in graveyards. I know tons of people that do. I don't hate them for it, but to me, I find it disrespectful. Um, and you know, you're absolutely right. If, if you were just going to automatically go in and not talk to somebody that you can't even see, you know, what are you going to do to somebody that you can see that you can exactly. get that reaction out of? Um, you know, I, I've, I've watched examples of these, uh, Yahoo's yelling at spirits. And to me, I find <laughs> it like, you know, that takes any credibility away that yep. they may have had to start with. Absolutely. And like I said, it, it was originally meant to be able to stand up to malevolent entities when it's needed, you know, mm-hmm. whether you're religious or not, you know, the, the exorcisms, that's what they do. Now, they do that on a completely different level. It's just manipulated and twisted and everything into what we see now on TV and in paranormal groups. And just as you said, the way that they do it now is absolutely disrespectful and there is no reason for it. Um, some consider it dangerous and some, you know, just, just as you said, completely devalues us as a field. Yeah. Um, in your opinion, where's the most haunted place in uh, New Orleans? Oh, goodness. I think all you have to do is step outside. Okay. <laughs> um, I would probably say Jackson Square. That would be my personal opinion. Um, I'm sure others would disagree. Um, I mean, there's a lot of popular places here. But that would probably be my go-to place because that is where the the hanging, the public executions used to take place. And that is also where a lot of um, fighting was when uh, the world, not the world, the War of 1812 right. um, was. And then also you've got the church there. And so there's a whole mix of emotions there from a whole different aspect. What's your, uh, what's your most... Uh, let me rephrase this. What's your f- most favorite paranormal topic and why? Um, actually, it would be liability um, and it, that's a, and quantum theory. But I'm still baby new to quantum theory. But um, my main one that I really like is liability. Now, I'd like to start talking about that, but I looked at my clock and it, we're just under a just under a minute. So uh, what we're going to do is we're <laughs> going to hold on to this topic until we come back okay. from this uh, break at the bottom of the uh, of this uh, segment. The next donation, our guest this hour is Sasha Clanot, and her website is www.hauntedbourbon.com. And uh, Sasha and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break. As we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't forget, if you'd like to get your complimentary copy of the X-Chronicles newspaper, all you need to do is go to www.xchroniclesnewspaper.com. Now, you can read it online. You can download it. It's totally searchable. Have a blast. 92 full-color pages. Or if you'd like to have that print copy in your hand and you don't want to go through the hassle of downloading PDFs and uh, printing them, you can go to Amazon.com. This is the Exxon. I am Rob O'Connell, and Sasha and I will return on the other side of this break. Whatever you do, don't go away.
Welcome back, one and all. Sasha Clonard is our special guest this hour, www.hauntedbourbon.com. All right, before we went to the break, I asked you what your favorite topic was, and you said liability. Tell me yes. about that. <laughs> well, for whatever reason, growing up, I've always loved law. I mean, I, I mm -hmm. didn't go to law school, but it's always been fascination, whether it's from a police aspect, a lawyer aspect. Um, I just, I swore when I grew up, I was going to be a lawyer. And as I got to know, or more involved in the paranormal field, I've noticed that there was a lot of liability issues that were lacking. People mm -hmm. weren't being careful. People didn't have contracts. They were getting screwed over left and right. There wasn't a definition of who owned what evidence. And um, it, it, it just was a big mess. And so I, I used that... Um, to help educate people, and it just ended up becoming a topic that I was extremely passionate about. What legal liabilities would a paranormal investigator have, and why would they need to have contracts? Um, it, it actually, there's a whole slew of them. Um, there's a general contract for team members because mm -hmm. you have to establish early on what the requirements are um, what you expect of your team member, what your team member can expect of you, mm -hmm. um, such as, you know, I'm, I'm going to expect you to participate in so many investigations a month or a year or whatever. Um, if you join the team, this is who owns the evidence and under what circumstances. Um, on my team, it's if you bring in your equipment, your own personal equipment, where sh we have shared evidence. But if you use just equipment team, then it's ours and you don't get to use it. Um, there's also, you know, uh, liability, safety liability, mm -hmm. such as, you know, who gets sued if somebody gets hurt. Um, and that's just a team contract and that's just everything I could come up off the top of my head. When you have, um, when you own an event like mine, each person joining the event, especially at ghost hunts, it, such as places like Waverly or um, Old South Pittsburgh, etc., um, you have to have a weaver sign because people can get hurt. And then you've also got your talent speakers. You know, if you host a convention like mine, you've got to make sure that the talent knows what to expect, um, if they're getting paid, how much, mm -hmm. um, when, who owns money and when, etc. The list can go on. Um, just to join my team, without the waiver, it's four pages. Um, which to most people would be a lot, but I keep coming up with things that need to be covered in that contract. It, but, it sounds uh, like this paranormal hobby is turning into a paranormal business. It, it, it is. And what a lot of people don't realize is mm -hmm. that even hobbies, like when you join a sports team, just a casual sports team, there are certain requirements. You still um, have certain expectations and people can still get sued, especially especially with sports. So it, it's just recently in the last few years that a lot more people are starting to realize that we have to follow the same laws that any other basic organization is. And a lot of people just overlook that. Um, granted, I'm a little bit more thorough than the average person. You know, if you were to join a sports team, you're going to sign you know, maybe like a code of conduct, mm -hmm. um, maybe a short piece of paper about what's expected and then a waiver saying that you're not going to assume if you break a leg. But, um, you know, my contract's going into a lot more detail. But, yeah, a lot of people don't realize that uh, your team, depending on what way you run it, might actually be a business. 
And, um, you know, that's why I separate my team from my convention because my convention is, is run to raise money for people, but it's still technically a business until I get an official 5013C. And my team is run as a, an unincorporated organization, which still has certain tax documents that is required. A lot of people just well, well, wait a sec. Hold on here. Hold on here. The tax documents are required if you charge for your services. It's if you make money, yes, but they still have to, you still have to register with them. I mean, even if you don't make money, obviously if you don't make money, you don't pay taxes. Right. Sure. You, if you, if you're, if you're in a corporation or an LLC, but we're talking about ghost hunting. We're not talking about a multi-billion dollar entity. Right. But you still have certain obligations. Like I crochet on the side. I don't make very much money from it, Mm -hmm. but I still make money. And if you make any money at all, you still pay taxes. But even if I didn't make money, I still have to report that I didn't make money. I still have to, if I did it for charity, let's just say I did it on my home, I would still have to record that if I'm representing myself as even an organization that crochets. All all right. But, but, but paranormal organizations, you know, these people don't get paid. Number one, number two, the majority of them end up buying the equipment themselves. Agreed. I do. You know, so, so why, why the, I, I can understand it if you're doing it for insurance purposes, liability insurance, uh, you know, for other reasons, but I, per, my personal belief is that this is going a little bit too far. Does that deter anybody from getting involved? No. And, and it, it's depending on who you ask, that would say that's a good thing or a bad thing. It doesn't. Because mm-hmm. I know tons of people who don't have the proper paperwork in general just because they don't know what, what they should think of. But it, it, it is very important to make sure that you have the right paperwork. Even unincorporated organizations which is a normal ghost hunting team. Most ghost hunting teams are unincorporated yeah. and they're just an organization. Right. They still have requirements that they're supposed to follow. And it's just now, am I saying if the IRS came to you and say, okay, well you didn't make any money and you didn't file with us, but we're still going to put you in jail. No, it's, it's very unlikely, but it's still always better to make sure that you have the proper paperwork. That way you can sit here and tell somebody um, we're a ghost hunting team. Uh-huh we're separate. And then also there is that legal liability between, you know, if let's say you and I were on a team Mm -hmm. and I go on a killing rampage and somebody sues the team, can they sue the team? Can they, can they only sue an individual? And that's why you've got to register even as an organization or a LLC or, you know, whatever you decide to put your team as, so that those boundaries can be established in case something like that happens. Let me ask you this. So, you, you and your team go into a residence. Are you insured? Uh, we don't go into residence. Not right now. All right. Um, so let's say you go, in, you go into a business. Your ghost tour goes into a business. Or something happens on a public street. Are you right. insured? Well, I don't. I don't do ghost tours. So I'm what, that they uh, all right. Let me, let me say, let me look at it this way. When you have your event... Are you insured? I do. I go through locations that have insurance that I can use. But why don't you but get your you own insurance? Be. Because there's no way that with the money that I get at the end of it, that mm-hmm. I would be able to afford that. So I have to be careful about what locations I use. 
And that way, if something were to happen, that location's insurance does cover it on top of the waivers that I do have. But you should always have insurance, whether it's personal insurance, whether you do go in residence, especially if you go into a residence, mm-hmm. and especially if you do ghost tours. Are your people put through police background checks? Um, it's just me and my, well, fiance, but yes. Anybody that joins my team needs to be going through, but that's, that's a personal choice that I just prefer to make sure that everybody on my team, Mm -hmm. I don't have to worry about. Now, granted, if they haven't been arrested or caught yet, you know, but that also shows that I took the initial effort to make sure that everybody on my team, and that relieves me of some liability, that I took an honest effort to make sure that everybody on my team, whether it's just me and my right. fiance or whether it's 10 people. Right, let so me ask you this, and I hope you don't take it the wrong way. Why are you such yeah, a stickler? I, that's, I just think it's my personality. <laughs> um, I feel that if you don't take those precautions, mm-hmm that you run the risk. Uh, I have heard horror stories of people having people on their team and they run off with money and come to find out if they would have done a background check, they would have seen that that person had theft on their, on their record and they wouldn't have let them near money. Um, I have dated violent people in the past and it's never affected, you know, the residential team. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't do the proper background checks. And if I would have, then I probably wouldn't have been dating them in the first place. But, it's vital to me. My opinion is it's very vital to take those extra efforts to make sure that not only are your team, but your residents are going to be taken care of if you are going to have random people. All right. So what is it exactly you do then? If you don't go into houses, if you don't do tours, what exactly do you do? Normally I do residentials. I'm just not doing residentials now until I get the proper insurance. Um, I do handle the extreme cases, which means that I am even more at liability than the average person. Because when you cross that threshold mm-hmm. of telling somebody that, oh, no, you're just crazy or no, you're possessed. And they come to find out they've got schizophrenia. So there's certain more obligations there. And that's another reason that I'm waiting to get back into residentials. Like when I was in Alaska, I wasn't a stickler for insurance. I mm-hmm. should have been. But I wasn't. And, and I did do residentials quite frequently, almost every weekend, because um, it was just starting to become popular up there. And so it, it's I don't judge people if they don't have it. I don't necessarily agree that they don't have it. But to me, it's vital to go through those extra efforts. All right, stand by. We've got to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. This is the Excellent. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Our guest this hour is Sasha Clanat, and her website is hauntedbourbon.com. And we'll both be back on the other side of this break as we continue talking about the paranormal, parapsychology, and what makes this business tick. Don't go away.
Welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon. I'm Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, iHeart Radio, as well as Simul Radio and Simul TV. Our guest this hour is Sasha Klanat. Her website is hauntedbourbon.com. Tell me about your experience as a para, as a demonologist or spiritual warrior. Well, I mean, it's stereotypical. Um, I mean, we've had people come in. I've had to sort out between claims of, you know, being possessed mm-hmm. and, you know, having an entity in there and having to sort out which ones are true, which ones are not. Right. Um, I mean, I haven't had anybody crawl on the ceiling, um, but I've had washing machines move out from the wall. I have had things move, which obviously does not declare it necessarily a demon or inhuman Mm -hmm. but i I have had cases where i've heard growls out loud um people come out on my team with bruises and and such so i mean i can't really say that i'm any more different than any other extreme case demonologist whatever you want to call it where did you get your training to become a demonologist there is no formal training um, I wish there was, but, uh, there's such, it's such a gray area, but I started studying it when I was very young and I just kind of through experiences, people started helping me out more mm-hmm. experienced and more, I guess, seasoned investigators would help guide me and stuff like that. And then I started noticing that I don't want to say a, a big majority of my cases because Later on, it it became smaller, fewer percentages, but it became a big enough percentage to where I wanted to start focusing on it. And I started noticing that I had an ability to do the research that I felt was required to perform the abilities. Um, I I don't pull out holy water or anything like that. So I don't think a 1999 certificate certifies you as a demonologist either. I agree. I agree. So when you go to a residence or a, a location where there's an alleged demonic right. situation, how do you quantify if it's demonic or if it's, in fact, something other than that? Well, the first thing I do is I try to see the mental stability of the of the client. If I have any concerns, mm-hmm. you know, I, I say, you know, I'm going to need you to get an evaluation. Well, wait a sec, wait a sec, wait a sec. You're not a doctor. You're not a trained professional health uh, health person. That's what I was saying was that because I can't, because I say I have these concerns because Uh they might be jittery. That's why I say you need to go get an examination. Why wouldn't you you just say, I'm sorry, we're not going to do anything? Because when you say go get an examination, you're already making an assumption and the person can interpret it as you saying that they may have issues well i put oh i put it a little bit more delicate delicately than that but i have them go through a whole battery it, it's not like i just sit there and go in like mm-hmm. a lot of people and say oh you're demon possessed or you're not okay i i sit there they have to go get a medical evaluation which really upsets me it's very unpopular at least here um to have them go through a battery of tests um but i have them go to the doctor if the doctor says okay well you know these medicines are not counteracting they're not creating hallucinations um you know they need to go Mm -hmm. get a psychological evaluation especially if i pick up that there might be something there now if they sit there 
um, a lot of the red flags I look at in the first initial interview is mm-hmm. if they might be doing some attention seeking behavior, because if that's a, a very huge possibility, I kind of distance myself a little bit um, until I start seeing things. It doesn't mean I completely shut them out, but gotcha. I'm not going to necessarily waste my time or the team's time with somebody that might just be attention seeking. Um, if for some reason the psychiatrist and the doctor both say that they are valid, um, or not valid, but that, you know, a one says that they're saying the other two says that, yes, they don't have any medical issues, be it heart conditions or medication. Mm -hmm. Then I will sit there and I will go through an investigation, see if I catch anything. Um, and I do that more than once. I don't approve of these people going in and saying a place is haunted or not haunted within one time, unless stuff starts flying off the shelves and you know, you're right there and you can tell that nobody's throwing anything, then that's a good assumption. Um, so I'll go in there multiple times and, um, I also interview the client multiple times to see if there's any story changes, to see if there's any kind of clues. Um, I also look to see if there's a possible cause. If there doesn't seem to be a cause, it could be, just be a really ticked off entity that is moving stuff around and it, because they are unaware of what the symptoms are, they assume that it's demonic and it's just a ghost moving stuff or making noises. So if there seems to be a cause, I then, you know, I'll keep pursuing. Um, I check the background of the house to see if there might be anything attached, you know, any kind of deaths or murders or anything there. Right. Um, the best I can. But obviously, you know, once you get to a certain year of a house, mm-hmm. there isn't a whole lot. Um, oftentimes the police aren't very much help. Um, and trying to explain to them that you're trying to get a case file is, is not easy. Um, I also sit there and try to make sure that there's not bad wiring. Now that gets into a gray area because again, I'm not an electrician. So I try to use the best of my ability to do that. I encourage them to get somebody in here, especially if the K2 meter goes off, because again, I don't think it's a magic tool. I don't think it's a cure all, but you know, if the K2 is going off in the middle of a wall for no reason, then there might be a reason for bad wiring that might cause hallucinations and stuff like that. Why wouldn't you call in the city engineer and have the city engineer go over the property? There's no charge for that. I did not, was unaware of that because in Alaska, I have tried to check with the city to see if that's something that they do. Mm -hmm. And they say, no, Um, I have not checked down here in New Orleans, but in Alaska, that is what they have told me because I, I don't feel that a client should have to pay for an electrician or a plumber to come out. I don't, th- uh, I don't do think that. a client should pay for anything when it comes to a paranormal investigation. Uh, agreed. Yeah, um, because, you know, nobody knows what the actual cause is, and without validation Absolutely. from an engineer, a city engineer or, or even an electrician, somebody with heating, uh, heating and uh, air conditioning experience... Yep. You know, you're, you're basically uh, shooting at the dark. But tell me, what right. are some of the demons that you've dealt with? Um, Like, what do you mean? Like, by name? Well, no. Or like... do you mean just... Well, that's where I kind of fall into the unpopular category. I don't know. That's why I use extreme case specialists. I, I am a pagan. I don't necessarily believe that there's this big, huge entity that goes out and tries possessing people. Um, I, so I try to go in there and see if there's any kind of inhuman entity. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's a case that, you know, does look like it's a demon, I might move it on to a Christian person, especially if the client is Christian. Now, 
I have had EVPs that come back. Azazel, which is a demon. Now, that's only happened a couple times. Like I said, yeah. I cannot verify that that is Azazel. You know, I have my hesitation to say that, you know, there is angels and demons and that this demon wants to take your soul and eat it or whatever. Um, I, I lean a lot more towards there being an inhuman entity from somewhere else that is trying to just, whether it's harass us or whatnot, I personally do not believe that entities are really trying to possess us. Then where do these, what do these demons want or these negative entities want? Um, it, that is kind of unknown because, you know, unfortunately, there, just like you said, there isn't a, one, there isn't a formal cause mm -hmm. to any kind of these anomalies. Right. Two, we don't have a stream of EVPs unless you're real lucky or you've got, you know, some kind of audio device that sits there and creates words for you. But most investigators, even in demonic cases, don't sit there and have, I want your soul. Um, so it's very hard to sit there and say that I've never had any entity, um, whether it's a ghost or a possible demon, which is why I don't like... I, I, when I say demonologist, I use it as an umbrella term, but that's why I prefer extreme case specialist. I, I don't believe that there's entities out there to get our souls. My opinion would be that they are just trying to upset us. Um, and, and not like a personal vendetta, but, you know, it, it, as easy as trying to get our attention, trying to communicate with us and our audio devices don't pick up. There's too many unknowns, and that's why I don't feel comfortable saying this is their cause, because even if there was an entity out there trying to possess us, you know, there would be different reasons for each person. Just like a serial killer, per se, has different reasons that they go out and kill people numerously. So I feel that they would have their own reason for it, depending on each entity. All right, stand by. You and I have to take our final break. And next donation, our guest this hour is Sasha Clanot, and her website is, got your pencils ready? All right, here we go, hauntedbourbon.com. That's www.hauntedbourbon.com. And uh, we're going to be back on the other side of this break as we wrap up this hour here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't forget, the X-Chronicles newspaper is available for one and all with our compliments at www xchroniclesnewspaper.com and this in this issue alone it's been downloaded or read in over 9,300 cities around the world we'll be back don't go away Exonation uh, Sasha Clonaud is our guest. 
Her website is hauntedbourbon.com. How many members are there in your team, uh, Sasha? Right now, only two. You and your Just you me. and your fiance. Right. And, uh, I I have had a couple that uh, join, but they don't have the the time to continue. I see. Um, what has been your most memorable paranormal experience? Um, probably the case where the washing machine did come out from the wall. Um, as soon as I heard it, I ran mm-hmm. upstairs. We, um, I checked around to see if there was any causes for it. Um, we called the, the owners to see if right. we could open up the bottom of it to open up the bottom of the, the washing machine and, uh, see if there was any kind of gadget inside that would cause it to move. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, at that same investigation, we cut a bunch of growls, and uh, one of the team members ended up with a bruise at the end of it. So that was probably my most memorable one. Um, I've had other good ones that are less eventful, and I've had other stuff in the field that is eventful. But that would probably be the most, I guess, quote-unquote dramatic case sure. I've had. Um, let's say somebody calls you up, and you go to their house, and you do the investigation after you've done all the the preliminary work that is done. Yeah. What, how do you present the person who has called you with whatever you find? Um, if we find anything, because mm-hmm. I, I have had many, many, many cases where I don't, I don't find anything. Um, the first thing I do is if I do find something, I, I go through a little spiel that says, you know, there isn't a way to prove or disprove the paranormal. This right. is the typical. This is the typical guidelines. At what mm-hmm. point we would normally say that this is or is not haunted? Um, you know, I let them know that anything that they hear, you know, is unlikely to hurt you because ninety nine point nine percent of the time, um, like I said, I think I've only had one case where somebody got hurt, and that was just the the team member at that time that ended up with a bruise. I've never had a client with scratches or anything like that. Um, so I, I present them, you know, that that they aren't any if they were to hear anything that it's not of any huge consequence. So then I will show them each step um, that we used, explain why we feel that it may or may not be paranormal. Um, and I make sure that I weed out um, anything that may be questionable, um, such as, you know, a very quiet mumble or something like that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't toss into the pile. I mean, I might keep it in their file for later in case, you know, it goes on for a year. They want me back. Um, but realistically, that wouldn't be something I show to a client. So it, it would have to mm-hmm. be very clear EVP. And I would have to explain to them why I would think it was. If it's something semi-scary, because we've had some stuff that could be construed for somebody that doesn't know better. That's scary. Um, if there's photos give again give the options why we would think that it would be paranormal or not um and uh basically just do the same thing for any video we may or may not catch and then at the end of it um say what we would suggest if there was any follow-ups you know we would pursue more investigations or we don't think anything here is going to hurt you so at this point it would be up to you if you want us to come in some more but um we can cleanse the house but realistically nothing in here is going to hurt you or we didn't find anything and I'm, I'm really sorry but we don't find anything that would be any remotely what we would consider remotely towards the paranormal why would a person who's having suspected paranormal activity call 
a um, paranormal investigator instead of a member of the clergy? Um, there's a ton of reasons for that. Some of it is, is they may not go to church. Mm -hmm. Like I don't go to church. Some of it is they don't want to be judged by their clergy because a lot of times um, clergy, not all, but some can be very condescending or judgmental or they just shrug it off. Um, again, that's not all the case. There's right. plenty of good. I, I have worked with them. Um, and some of it is, is they don't think that it's something that clergy can help out with. Um, usually if a client does tell me that they are religious oriented, I do ask them if they would want us to involve their clergy, whether it's, you know, priests. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, it, it is, there's so many reasons, but those would probably be the main three that I would give off. Why does a spirit stay behind instead of crossing and going to the light? My opinion would be that I don't feel that they necessarily stay behind for whatever reasons. Um, the very little that I have learned with quantum theory is that mm -hmm. there is a possibility that there is um, other dimensions and that at some points it weakens. And that's why we are able to. Um, if you were to follow through or follow the theory that they are left behind, it would be because they died of a traumatic cause you know whether it was a sudden murder or a sudden right. heart attack or they have a longing to watch over that person and um sometimes a lot of people think that they have left behind um and and they haven't like because i am a medium um i have talked to people who don't stay behind but they can still talk i don't feel that even if they there was you know a light or you know whatever mm -hmm. that they wouldn't be able to communicate and that is part of the reason that i think that there might be something different going on rather than just being left behind because of unresolved issues um because i have communicated with people that have moved on and they they only pop around every so often and uh it would go against that belief that once they move on, they can't really talk to us. How so, different, I'm sorry, uh, how different is the, the, uh, the, um, the awareness of the paranormal in Alaska compared to um, New Orleans? Um, as far as the awareness, um, mm -hmm. it depends what way you look at it. Like in the native culture, obviously, there's a lot of supernatural yes, stories yes. of creatures. So from that aspect, it's not completely out of the realm of scope. But unfortunately, you still got a lot of religious aspect in there. And um, it's actually not too different. Um, the only difference is that New Orleans has more people, which mm -hmm. means that there's a higher percentage that you'll be accepted more. Um, but it's still, as when you come to the city, it's really hard to hold an event, you know, try to say, hey, we'd like to donate to your charity. Like I said, my, my event donates to charity. So trying to approach people going, hey, you know, we don't sacrifice children and we don't worship Satan and we would really like to work with you. We, we're normal people that, you know, are involved in an extraordinary field and we would just like to try and help you out. So trying to approach people um, is pretty much the same here. Um, there's a lot of judgment and whatnot, but um, as far as a fan base or people that would want to attend events, there's a lot more of them here than up there. Um, there's also a lot more education in the supernatural up in Alaska versus here. Really? There's a lot of people. Who, wow. Well, because up there in their culture, it's a lot more accepted. Once you bring like, 
because people assume because of voodoo that, you know, it would be widely accepted. Well, no, down here, I mean, there's still a lot of people involved in voodoo and stuff like that. But when it comes to like city officials or general outlook, it's very conservative down here. As soon as you bring something that's not Christian up, they automatically have this negative stigma behind it. So So it's, it's hard to deal with sometimes. So the fact that you're a pagan, does that work against you? Um, down here, yes, it does. Um, it's something that I don't necessarily mention right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I don't hide it. I'm not ashamed of it, but it's right. not something I mention because I want people to see me in a different light and get to know me for a person rather than that I'm a witch. But yeah, anytime that I do bring that up, it, it does become an issue of about half the time. Um, in Alaska, they're actually more accepting of that, uh, which is really odd. <laughs> Um, they, they can accept that I'm pagan, but the supernatural, they, they, they get judgmental about, but, um, down here, it's just no to anything that's not Christian. (laughs) So, um, I have to make sure that I find the appropriate time to bring it up if it even comes up Right. and, uh, try to go from there. But yeah, there is a lot of judgment. I do have a, a pinnacle tattoo on, on my forearm. So, you know, I go to a business meeting. I wear a long sleeve shirt, but I do have comments made, good and bad, about my tattoo. Um, you know, when I was on, when I would ride a bus, or if we're at a restaurant, or something like that, people will make comments. Wow, it's not very nice, is it? Yeah, but I, I understand. A lot of it is a lack of education. You know, once I explain that, again, I don't worship the devil or mm-hmm. I sacrifice babies, they they tend to open up, and and once they start asking questions, I notice that you know. They, they realize that I'm not a bad person and that um, you just see things a little differently. Well, let's face it, you know, the witches and Wicca have received a bum rap throughout history. Yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm not, yeah, um, yeah and, and, and that's another one that, you know, explaining the difference between mm-hmm. Wiccan and witchcraft and Druid and, and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I, I've been associated with Druids who in the past have been associated with human sacrifice. And I've had to go, no, no. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it, it's, there, there's a lot of stigma and, and a breaking that is, is a, a big thing that I like to work on with the event as well. Well, I wish you continued success. Uh, unfortunately, we've, we've, we've run out of time for today, but we'd love to have you back on because it was certainly entertain uh, and entertaining. It was enlightening <laughs> and it was educational. Thank you. And um, once again, if you'd like to get more information about our guest this hour, XO Nation, uh, Sarah Clenot, her website is hauntedbourbon.com. Now, I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as we continue here in the Exome from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. Don't go away. 